I could have, you know, ended up with a totally different life story, right? Because of Titan, everything has played out the way it has. And I mean, how lucky, how amazing. listening to the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome to episode 65 of the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host, Erin Scott, and thank you so much for being here. Today's guest is Isabel Alvarez Arada, and I'm so excited for you to hear from her. I first got to know Isabel through her podcast called Covered in Pet Hair, and I was a guest a couple months ago, and I'll make sure I have a link in the show notes for you if you want to check that out, because Isabel's podcast is so much fun. Isabella describes Covered in Pet Hair as a boozy show for pet lovers, and it'll have fun and games and drinks and also lots of great information and interviews with people in the pet industry. And you get to see a fun side of people that you might not get to see in other interviews. And of course, I'm always interested in hearing the origin story and what started people on their journey to being a pet lover. And Isabel's story is very interesting. She grew up spending time in Ecuador as a young child, and then again when she was like middle school aged. I really loved Isabel's insights and reflections on growing up within the Latin culture in the U.S. and how pets were viewed and experiences and everything that she learned about pet ownership and how that's evolved over time. And while Isabel was a lifelong pet lover, she never intended to set out to have a career working with animals. So I found it so interesting how she found herself starting a pet sitting and dog walking business that was all inspired by the love of her dog, Titan. And I really think you'll enjoy hearing Isabel's insights about working in the pet sitting industry and what every pet parent should know before hiring a pet sitter for your pets. And one thing you should know about the timing of this interview, I spoke with Isabel the second week of January, and it was a week after her dog Titan, who she spent 15 and a half amazing years with, had passed. And it was also the last interview that I ever recorded with Penny by my side. So it was very bittersweet for me to go back and listen to this and Hear Isabel sharing about the loss of Titan, and unbeknownst to me, just a few days later, I would be going through a very similar emotional journey. Isabel is also a military spouse and a mom to two young children. Isabel shared a lot on social media about how she was navigating the loss of her dog Titan and how she was talking to her children and bringing them into the process. And I think it's really interesting conversation to have. And I really appreciate all that she shared with us about that in case you or someone you know is in a similar situation. So let's get started. This conversation covers a lot of ground and I'm so excited for you to meet Isabel Alvarez Arada. So we are here today with Isabel. How are you? 
I am doing great. How are you? I'm so excited to talk to you and to have like a connection with a human other than my children and my husband since like <laughs> Christmas time. <laughs> oh my goodness. I have so much I want to talk to you about. Now, I did not grow up with pets. And so I'm always curious, are you someone who grew up with pets in your life or what did that look like for you? I grew up with pets, but it was kind of interesting because I grew up in Ecuador where pets were pets and then there were guard dogs, right? So I had both in my life growing up. My dad had a factory out in Guayaquil, Ecuador, and whenever we went there, the dogs had to be kenneled. They were vicious dogs that were purchased and imported from Germany, you know, like these police dog adjacent beings that could not be anywhere near us. So I grew up with pets and like kind of like a big respect for dogs and understanding the difference between like a pet dog and a guard dog. So my first experience with pets was actually those guard dogs until we moved to the United States and I got a golden retriever. My family got a golden retriever from a breeder. Absolutely no idea. He was luckily a good dog. You know, like we had no idea about like researching. We had just moved to the US. We thought that with the American dream came a golden retriever. So like, that's why I think that they chose that breed. But he actually passed away unexpectedly. Uh, when I was about 12, he got hit by a car. Oh, no. In the Latin culture, it's changing now, but for a long time, like, moms didn't want pets in the house. It was like, you could have a cat outside. You could have a dog uh, in the yard. Uh, so we had this beautiful golden retriever that was like a yard dog. And he had, like, this house, and we had a fenced yard. But somebody came in one day and left the gate open. Um, so he got out. He was noise-phobic. Uh, storm phobic and he ran out probably because it was Miami and it was you know summer and it storms like every day so he got scared and he got hit by a car um, and we found him I still remember finding him on the side of the road and my mom every morning for like a week opening the front door and just like staring out feeling so guilty right that she didn't prevent this but pets were always like in and out of our lives even after that In Ecuador, uh, my family had pets. My grandfather would always take in whatever dog he found. My grandmother hated it, but that's just how it was. Um, My, I I had my first pet at 17. I like demanded that I would get a dog at 17. And my mom helped me choose her, which is why my mom was on board. Her name was Bachi. She was like a little Bichon mix. And she was like my dog. And at 17, I would go out in South beach with my dog and my best friend and her dog and dogs were always like a thing both in my family and just like in my school and my friends group. Like we just loved dogs, cats. I grew up next to the crazy cat lady who had <laughs> a, feral, a feral cat community literally next door. She had like 20 cats that she fed every day. Oh wow! She, like she babysat us. So we would always go and play with the cats. Like cats, we, my mom actually rescued a neonatal cat when I was like eight. She found her under the shed. And like we, this was before you could go to tractor supply and find like little bottles. I don't even know if we had a tractor supply in Miami. My mom went to the toy store to Toys R Us when it existed, found a bottle you could open, made a hole in it and would give my cat Michu milk through it until she was old enough to go um on like canned food or whatever and meet you but again we had no idea 
She was not spayed. So she had multiple litters that we took care of and that she would bring into, she would have the babies outside and she would bring them into our closet. Any opportunity she got. So like I grew up pet obsessed. My dad gave my mom a monkey as a pet when they were dating. Like (laughs) I come from two families that are pet obsessed or animal obsessed. And we've made many of many mistakes. We're much better pet owners now than we were then. (laughs) But we've always loved animals and wanted them, you know, near us. How old were you when you moved to the U.S.? Four. Uh, actually, I turned four in the U.S. I was I was like a month away from four. Yeah. Do you remember much about living in Ecuador or like the differences? Yes. I remember because in 1991, we lived in Ecuador for a year. I went from like living in Miami, going to like my same school my whole life until I was 11 to going to Ecuador for a year because of an immigration change in our um, status, we had to stay longer than we anticipated because when your visas are transitioning from one status to another, you're basically stuck in the U S but we were already gone. We had already gone to visit my grandparents in Ecuador and we had to stay. So we couldn't come back until like, you know, the next, the, the legal process was completed. So it was a year that we were unexpectedly there, but it was a wonderful year. Um, it was, it was great. Cause I had a huge family over there, you know, cousins of cousins of cousins. And it's very different, absolutely from Miami and from my upbringing there, but it's very family oriented, which I think is lovely, especially now that I'm raising my kids with like nobody around. <laughs> <laughs> We're military, so we go wherever we go. But it was really, ni- it was really nice. Um, and people in the in Latin America have always been pet obsessed. Unfortunately, the education is just not there, you know. And Miami is very Latin in that sense too. Where I think that as I have seen my family understand better, understand pets and pet care and the proper way to adopt or rescue or purchase a pet. As I've seen my family grow into that, I've also seen our community grow into that, where there's more education and more of a desire to do the right thing by the pet. And it's not just like this novelty item that, you know, you get and then throw in the yard and like feed once a day, which which is a lot of what was happening for a long time in Latin America. That's a really interesting insight. So when you were 17, it sounds like you also got started volunteering Yes, actually at the rescue where I got Bachi. Bachi was funny. Bachi was this little white thing. She was like four or six months old at the time. And she was covered in like in mange and she had chunks of fur missing. And so her name is Bachi, which means kisses in Italian. But everybody thought her name was Patchy because she was so patchy. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. We would have to, I would have to take her back for like flea dips and such. And while I was there, I just started kind of volunteering and helping and like helping even educate my friends at that point of like how important it is to consider rescue. A lot of people, again, the internet didn't exist. I mean, this is, this was in 1998 when I graduated high school. Everybody's going to do the math and see how old I am, but we're almost the same age. Okay. (laughs) And I'm older. So I seriously didn't know anything about the homeless pet population. There was no other than maybe like a commercial, which I don't even think those like gut wrenching commercials started. Yeah, the Sarah McLachlan. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. They didn't start till later. So I didn't really know about how many pets were in these shelters. And like this rescue specifically, uh, it was called Adopt a Pet South Florida, I think it was called. They were like a no kill 
shelter or no kill rescue. And they educated me on what that even meant. I had no idea that we were euthanizing pets because we didn't have anywhere for them to go. We, I had no idea the importance of spay and neuter. I had no idea about any of these things because it wasn't like common knowledge. And I'm grateful that it is now. I'm grateful that there's so many organizations educating the public right now, but that wasn't the case then. So I took it on as a kind of like a mission of mine to educate people on the importance of spay and neuter. And again, in the Latin culture, there's a lot of machismo where a lot of families, male, female of all ages, don't want to neuter their pets, their, their, their male dogs or male cats, because you're going to take their masculinity away and all that. So it became like very personal to me to educate on that. So it was not only the volunteerism, but it was always like a personal responsibility I felt to kind of help in any way that I could so that people would make better choices for their pets. And I, you know, obviously I still continue that now, but like when I look back, I'm like, wow, look at me. Like I was, this was always meant to be my purpose. It took me many years to figure that out, but it definitely was always there. So did you want to have a career working with animals? Not at all. Not at all. I actually studied French and international business at Maryland. Um, Because I speak three languages, my goal was to do something in diplomacy, international relations, or international business of any sort, fashion, you know, I don't know, wine, things that I enjoy. Um, But I actually ended up after college moving to France and hating it. I was, I was, uh, I was hired to teach English in a small town in France. And I was 23 years old and super bored and decided that I did not want to live in Europe ever again, that I was very American, even though I was not born here, I was naturalized at that point. And I was very American. And I just wanted to stay in the US. (laughs) Uh, I could not wrap my head around the fact that like, I couldn't shop on Sundays. And I could not like, buy anything between like one and one and three o'clock every afternoon. Like that just was not for me. Are you watching Emily in Paris? I have to ask. (laughs) Yes, of course. I love Emily in Paris. It's such a great show. I I love to see the French cast, actually, because there's they've captured the French temperament very well very very well um her boss is my favorite not 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 the american boss the french boss the french boss yeah she's such she's so awesome uh but yeah i decided i wanted to come back to the u.s and then i i was given an opportunity to work in finance i was working for countrywide home loans when the you know back when the before the recession of 2008 and I loved it. I lo- I, bec- I was able to use my language skills because most of my borrowers were Latinos in uh, the DC area. And so I was, I was super happy doing what I was doing, helping people um, become homeowners. Unfortunately, the mortgage industry took a huge turn, not surprisingly, because I could have called that having worked in it, I could have called it. <laughs> we were doing loans that shouldn't have been done, but you know, nobody was doing anything illegal necessarily. The programs just were terrible. Uh, so people got in over their heads and I was like, this isn't good. So I ended up in the hospitality industry again, because of my language skills, you know, travel and tourism seemed like a good move. And I worked for Hyatt hotels. I worked for Kimpton hotels and I was really happy, but I was commuting so long into DC. I lived, I lived in Fairfax (laughs) County and I was commuting into DC and I was getting tired of it. It's some of the worst traffic in the country. <laughs> oh my gosh. And my and my bosses were making it hard. And I was expected there to be from there from like 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. every day. And I was given 30 minutes for lunch. And I was like, I don't feel like this is the way I want to spend the rest of my days. So I was kind of looking to like make a change, maybe change a ch- the you know, hotel chains. And I got a dog, Titan. 
And he was like four months old when I got him. And I remember the rescue interviewing us. There was like four families looking looking at him. And he was the last of his litter to be adopted. And he was this mellow puppy, sweet thing, super cute. And they were like, you know, they were, because there was four families looking at him, they were kind of choosy. And they asked like, what are your plans for, you know, when you're at work, you're going to be, you, you just told me you work 10 hour days. And my ex at the time, he was secret service and he traveled all the time. So they were like, what are your plans? And we're both like, oh, we're going to get a dog walker. And so we had committed to getting a dog walker and we couldn't find one. We literally could not find one in the DC area. There were so few of them at the time. This was 2008 that they were booked and they, I'm still waiting for them to call me back. I joke that I'm literally still waiting for that <laughs> call back because it has not come yet. But I called a bunch of dog walking services and nobody called me back. And my ex was like, you know, they must be really busy. There must be like a big demand for this. And I was like, absolutely. And I could see on every website that there was like on their homepage, like we're hiring, we're hiring, we're hiring because they were overwhelmed by the demand that they had. And I said, I can do this better. You know, I've been in customer service my whole life. I started working when I was 14 years old. I love to work and I love animals. So why am I not doing this? And within like three months I was doing it. And then three months later I was hiring a team and, you know, it was all really serendipitous and it was all because of this dog named Titan, (laughs) you know? And what kind of dog is tight was Titan? Titan was okay, so I did the genetic testing because when I adopted him, I was told that he was a hound mix. He was, it turns out he was a Rottweiler Chow Chihuahua mix, which is pretty, you know. Yeah. That's an interesting mix. Some of the best dogs I've ever cared for. I cared for thousands of dogs while I was a professional pet sitter when I started my dog walking business. And some of my favorites have always been Rottweilers and Chows. So I totally see the temperament and like that kind of, um, I see it. The Chihuahua, I don't see it all because, you know, (laughs) I love Chihuahuas. I live in El Paso, Texas, our minor league baseball team is the Chihuahuas. Oh. And Chihuahuas are super popular here because we're on the border with Chihuahua, Mexico, with the, the region. And Chihuahuas are not my favorite. Like, they're not. I will say it right out loud. I want a Chihuahua so badly because I want to, you know, get a local dog and experience a Chihuahua one day. But I did not have good experiences with Chihuahuas because they're, you know, more like one person dogs. And when the pet, in the pet sitting kind of situation, they weren't the most cooperative, I'll be honest. Uh, so when I found out that he was a Chihuahua, I was like, oh, interesting. I never saw that coming. <laughs> um, so I'm not a Chihuahua hater. I love them. I think they're so adorable. But I did not expect that Titan would be a Chihuahua at all. Like, at all. <laughs> Especially because he was like, in his prime, he was like 60 pounds. <laughs> so I didn't see that one. So tell me about working as a pet sitter. Like, this is you were somebody who would go into people's homes and do like dog walking, pet sitting, because that's what whenever we've traveled, that's what we've always done. We've always brought somebody into the home rather than do like a kennel or like Mm -hmm. a daycare situation. And it just makes me feel more comfortable. I feel like our dogs are kind of like us, they're homebodies. And and so that has always made sense, you know, to me. So do you have any thoughts for somebody for selecting a, a pet sitter? Yes. I actually am a pet sitting advocate. I call myself a pet sitting advocate. I was in the pet sitting industry for almost 15 years until the the pandemic hit. And I was 2000 miles away from my business. It didn't make sense to continue without me being there. I had just had my second baby. So it was just like all the stars aligned that said like, it is not, this is not 
feasible anymore. And we love El Paso, so we want to stay here. So having a business, to rebuilding a business in a place I didn't want to end up didn't make a lot of sense. So I, to this day, only use pet sitters for my pets. Um, it was really nice when I had a pet sitting business and they were my employees that I would just call on. I would just schedule them up and, you know, but now I have an amazing pet sitter here who's been our pet sitter for like three years. Um, if you're in El Paso, Happy Tales El Paso is the business. Our guy is Kevin. He's amazing. He's so reliable. And, you know, like you said, pets are homebodies. Like, they really are, especially cats. I can't imagine boarding a cat unless there's a veterinary need for that. There, that is just, just a terrible idea. For dogs, especially as they get older, they are really reluctant to adjust to new places unless it's absolutely necessary. And what I used to do is I actually mostly used to go into clients' homes, but there were times that I would take dogs into my home. And what I noticed when I did that, and it was just like one dog at a time or two dogs that lived together, it would take them about four days to get comfortable in my home. And most of the time they would be left for like a weekend. So by the time they were comfortable, they were already leaving. So the next time they came again, they would have to like have that acclimate, I guess acclimate to my house, to my, the smells in my house and stuff. And I, I felt like it was more stressful than it needed to be. So for me, I love in-home pet care. I think somebody coming to your house where your pet has their routine, their smells, their, you know, favorite spots. They know the schedule of the sun and at what time it's coming in through that specific window. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're just so used to that space. I'm such a an advocate for it, but I also am an advocate for hiring a professional pet sitter. I am not saying that you should hire your neighbor. I don't hire my neighbors for, for pet care. I definitely don't think teenagers are up for the challenge. I, I hope that when my kids are teenagers, I can say otherwise. But I've never met a teenager, including myself, that really understood what to do in an emergency, how to care for a home. You know, most of the professional pet sitters that I've worked with are homeowners. So they understand, oh, like this, I can't put this wet towel on this wood floor because I'm going to ruin it, Right. Those kinds of things people don't think about. They think, oh, this person loves pets, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. You need to look for somebody who loves pets, understands what to do in an emergency with your pet, with your home, has processes in place in case they get sick, they get in a car accident, they can't show up, who's coming in their place. So my recommendation is always to go with a professional who's thought about all these things. And trust me, having been in the industry for so long, I've seen it all. I've seen clients that never came back from vacation because they passed away due to an accident. I've seen pets go from perfectly healthy to having to be euthanized the next day. Um, and that was my first euthanasia experience was actually one of my clients' pets, a cat that had that threw a clot and had to be euthanized. Wow. And I, he had been perfectly healthy the day before. So those things, a teenager is not up for the challenge. And your neighbor who's just coming over and like opening the door who's it who's doing it as a favor but like is it's not their vocation or their passion they may not even pick up on these signs that a professional would so always start with professionals and there are two sites that i always recommend it's petsitters.org that's the national association of professional pet sitters and petsitters international which is petsit.com so there's two organizations uh, one of them is a nonprofit naps is a nonprofit and then psi is the other one and they're both excellent and they both have a search engine on their website. So you basically put in your zip code and you find a pet sitter that is near you. If you're lucky enough to live in an area where there are multiple options, call a bunch of them because you know, you may 
click with one and not with another. You may be uh, more comfortable with the processes that one has or policies that one has over another. Um, and if you don't have a lot of choices still, I would recommend if there's only one that pops up, call them, talk to them, because the fact that they've taken the time to become members of either of these organizations says a lot about them. And it says how serious they are. And it says that there's an organization backing them and, you know, teaching them and mentoring them. Uh, there's so many resources on from these organizations that make us better pet sitters that are, it's really valuable. I, I don't believe in, you know, search engines otherwise, because anybody can list themselves on them. I'll say like, you know, wag where you like, it's like an app and like, it's yeah. like the Uber of, of dog walking. I don't believe that they vet people enough. And I also don't love that Rover, for example, is like a, a website that anybody can list themselves on because, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't give me the warm and fuzzies having the experience that I have. Um, and I know people who have had great experiences on either one of those apps or websites, but that's not where I would start my search. I was actually going to ask you about those apps and I'll make sure that we have links in the show notes to awesome. the two links that you mentioned, because that's really great information. Yes. And honestly, don't be scared. The biggest thing for me is that I find that people are scared. They're kind of uncomfortable with the idea of somebody coming into their home. Uh, one thing I will say is, for example, I have a two-story house. My pet sitter has never stepped foot in my second story, my second floor. I know, you know, he doesn't have any reason to come up here. My pets stay downstairs. All their food is downstairs. All their care is downstairs, the yard their leashes, everything just stays in that area. So that's something you can easily do. Maintain your pets that are in the, the kitchen area or your living room or family room uh, so that you're more at peace with them. Like, you know, not exploring your home if you're not comfortable with that. But trust that most people who go into this industry are just looking to spend time with animals. They're not looking to steal from you or do anything sketchy. Um, I know that it's really, it, it, it takes a, a lot of trust, um, but that's why it's so important to find somebody who's vetted somebody who is insured, somebody who has bond uh, in case there's any theft, and somebody who has maybe a license in your area if it's required. Uh, even if just a business license where they're registered with the county, that's also tells me that they're really serious about what they're doing. Yeah, that's a really good point. I will say we did really luck out when my girl Lucy was sick. And she basically needed somebody to check in on her every day because she needed to eat to keep her blood sugar up due to the medical condition she had. And we were so fortunate. Our next door neighbor's daughter was in nursing school at the time. And so she was like the perfect candidate, you know, for, for being able to let us know what was going on medically. Yes. She was so tuned into that stuff. That is huge because not all pet sitters, like for example, me, um, I don't have a ton of experience with like a cat that needs sub-Q fluids. Uh, so if your cat has a special need or your dog has a special need, start asking about that first before you even go into anything else availability. Just find out if they're going to meet your needs because like you said, like your pet had a very specific need and that nurse could perfectly well fit it. Whereas a professional pet sitter in your area may not have had that experience. So really it's about vetting and taking the time and never wait till the last minute because you're not going to get good choices at that point because there was an unwritten rule in the pet sitting industry that if you wait till the last minute, we don't want to work with you because we assume that you don't care about your pet enough to make them a priority and that you're going to be a terrible client. So that's a little insider tip right there. Nobody wants to work with the last minute client because either you made poor arrangements and they fell through or you didn't think about it. And, you know, you booked your flight to Egypt three months ago, but you're just thinking about your pet care now. Like that doesn't speak well of where your priorities lie in terms of your pet. And we noticed that. 
Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so do you have any other just like observations or I guess I was really curious. Um, I have a friend of mine who runs a pet sitting uh, company in this neighborhood in Baltimore, and she actually ended up then becoming a dog trainer because she felt like she just saw such a need and for her to even be able to successfully walk some of the dogs, like she needed more skills. And so I was curious about, you know, if you had experiences like that also. Absolutely. So at the Wagpack, we would offer free dog training tips and advice and even consultations to our existing clients as needed. And these were mostly like pretty easy things. Uh, These were loose leash walking, training on that, Um, management, a lot of tips on management. Like if I walk into your house, your dog meets me at the door and I'm scared he's going to come out. So let's plan on something that's going to keep him safe, things like that. So it wasn't anything, it wasn't really behavior modification. It was more management and tips on how to improve either our walking experience, their walking experience, whatever. Sometimes there was nutritional advice we were giving, like this food looks like tricks, you know, like the cereal tricks, like, (laughs) and your pet is constantly constipated. Let's talk about how maybe this is not the best food for them, etc. But when it came to behavior modification, there were a lot of opportunities. We noticed a lot of opportunities. I remember taking care of a golden retriever speaking of and he was wonderful he's one of my favorites and he could not be left out of his crate because he would chew through drywall i've heard of dogs like that <laughs> yeah exactly and we we would walk him and you know we would give him the exercise he needed but he needed more than that he needed more uh behavior modification and 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 things that maybe we needed to look into like what was 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 there pain? Was there anxiety? Was there something else going on? Because this is not normal. We also had a pet that would break out of his crate to the point where the pet parents bolted it shut, which we were not comfortable with at all. Because like if there's a fire or something, there was like a like a key lock. I'm like, the key goes missing. Your pet stays in there forever. Like I can't agree to this. Your pet's obviously needs training in order to accept this crate, or you need to come up with a different idea to keep the pet secure in your home, safe from whatever damage, but without putting their life in danger. So we saw opportunities every day for a dog trainer to get involved. Um, And it's such a symbiotic relationship, dog training and pet exercise kind of thing. It goes well together. Really, it really does kind of work together in many ways. Like you're not going to meet a dog trainer that says, you know, never exercise your pet. (laughs) Right. Because they go together so well. So I, I personally, I wish I had become a dog trainer ages ago. I'm actually in the process of becoming a dog trainer, but not to work on, not work with people one-on-one. I don't really want to work with clients one-on-one. I have a really hard time coaching in that sense, like where people just want like a quick fix. And I don't think that I have the patience (laughs) at this point in my life to kind of like entertain that. You know, entertain the, absolutely, the, absolutely. you know, the, the fact that people are kind of lazy and they don't want to put in the effort, but I would love to do like group training for like puppies. I would love to help management with seniors. I would love to work with seniors. I love senior dogs. I love them so much. Senior animals in general are my like soft spot. Um, so I, my plan is to do that. But you know, when it comes to management, management is such a skill. It really is to like see something that the pet is reacting to or not embracing and figure out an alternate 
an alternate option that the pet parent may not have noticed is such a skill. And it's such an important skill because the right management tool could keep pets in their homes. Absolutely. That's so important. And in, you know, it's sometimes when you're in the thick of it as a pet parent, you can't see those options. So that's kind of something that I think a pet sitter with a dog training, you know, curriculum or, or experience would be so good at especially for these anxious pets that can't be left alone, but that's the safest place to leave them. And you, you know, an anxious pet does not have any business going to a boarding facility, right? Uh, separation anxiety is so, so common. I interviewed somebody in my first season, uh, Milena Martini, and she said about 50% of our dogs suffer from separation anxiety. Wow. So that's huge. That, yeah. And that manifests wow. so much in pet sitting where you're like, okay, the pet's really happy and calm when their owner's home. But two days later, they're like, <laughs> where is everybody? You know? So those kinds of things I think are such a great opportunity for pet sitters and dog walkers to do a little more and to educate themselves more so they can kind of provide this like really, really complete care. Yeah, absolutely. Like an umbrella. Yeah, yeah exactly. I see. It's really interesting with dog training, how much, you know, I've learned just over the years because you're not really training the dogs. It's really about people. And see, I actually think that you would be really good at it because you have so much of this experience and like customer service oriented, because I think that's what's really needed, you know, in in like a dog training personality. Because, you know, there just seems to be a lot of dog trainers out there with some interesting personalities. (laughs) Yes. You know, it's funny because I will say it's the same thing with pet sitters. Um, If you've ever worked professionally with other animal pros, pet pros in any way, you'll see that a lot of these people go into the pet industry because they're not animals, right? right? Because they're not, I'm not a people person. Exactly. And it really shows, it really shows and it really shows in their interactions and their kind of reluctance to connect with others. And they've been burned. They've had, you know, difficult relationships with humans and they found that pets accept them and, and make, make connections so much easier. And it really is like, it's much easier to connect to a pet in many cases than it is to some humans, but they, you know, they have a delivery problem, right? Like when they deliver things, I know you're talking about dog trainers too. Like they're so, and pet sitters too, they're just, they're kind of to the point, very to the point, not really worried about how the pet parent takes it. And pet parents on the other hand are really sometimes really stubborn, and they're kind of set in their ways and they they explain why this dog got into the trash and they're giving you this explanation and you're like, the dog got into the trash because they smelled something good. Like you can give me all the explanations you want about why you think that that, that the dog did that. And like all these like spiteful plans that this dog had when you left them too long. But what actually happened was your dog was bored and smelled something delicious in your trash and got in the trash. So it's 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 like this weird conundrum where everybody wants to see the dog thrive or the pet thrive because there's so much cat training now, which I'm such a fan of and such an advocate for. Everybody wants to see the pet thrive, but everybody stands in their own way. And that's why I'm like, maybe I'll stick to groove classes where <laughs> maybe I'll have a star student and everybody can just like emulate them. <laughs> <laughs> and then I don't have to be the bad guy. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, I could imagine it would it would be tricky. Like, there's a reason that I have not 
done these things. You know? yeah. Like, yeah. That's the reason I'm not a dog trainer. <laughs> you know, I am a, I'm a mom to a, two very spirited children and a very stubborn husband. And I think I'm good. Like I'm good on the, I'm good on the conflict for now. Like it's enough. I I love my family so much, but we're all very strong personalities in here. So we've got enough. So I was curious. I knew that your husband is in the military, and so is he somebody who's like been deployed for long periods of time? And and I was curious, like what that's like, and and having I would imagine having a dog, you know, is like a great thing when when you know, you're away from your spouse for that long. Yes. So Chris and I have been together. Um, we, it'll be 10 years in June that we met. Yeah. Uh, so we've been together for 10 years. He's only deployed once in that time. We have had to live apart for a long time. Uh, the first year we were together, actually, uh, he was in Fort Leavenworth um, undergoing, he was in a major school because he had just been promoted to major and he had to attend like a 10 month, 11 month course, uh, which they do at every rank. And I was in DC still because I had a business to run and I wasn't going to move for 11 months. So we lived apart then. And then we moved together to Louisiana, which I do not recommend for anybody to move to Fort Polk, Louisiana. It is a very <laughs> small, small area, especially if you, I'm, I grew up in Miami and then I lived in DC. So I've lived in like these big metropolis, you know, metropolises. And then I moved to DeRitter, Louisiana, which is very small. It's a very cute area and super nice people, but like, it was not a fun place to go. Like Target was an hour away. Like, oh my god! The, let me just say it. Oh my god! I couldn't imagine. <laughs> Walmart was our grocery store and our department store. Okay, that's all I had. And like McDonald's, it was it was not ideal. Um, so we lived there, and then we moved to El Paso in 2017. I was 25 weeks pregnant with my first. When we moved, it was a very difficult move. Like if you've been 25 weeks pregnant with a very difficult pregnancy, you know that the last thing you want to do is move. In the middle of that, it was a very tough pregnancy. I did not enjoy it, and then I had to move uh, across, you know, across all of Texas, all the way to the west side of Texas, and it was tough. But then my son was like eight months old when my husband deployed. Uh, luckily, it was not a war zone or a combat zone, which is a blessing. Um, but we were apart for a long time, and it did not. It did not. I, I did not love it. We had four dogs when my son was born. So when my husband and I got together, he had three dogs, and I had two. One of his dogs was on loan from his sister, so she was not permanently his. But uh, she was in Korea, uh, military adjacent, and she was. Uh, she had to leave the dog with him, uh, so. When we moved to Louisiana, we had four dogs together. And then when we moved to, to El Paso, we still had the four dogs, which, you know, it's funny when you move in the military, you're kind of like, will I leave this duty station with all the pets that I came with? Because, you know, they live less time than us. So we were really happy to like report that we got to Louisiana with four and we left Louisiana with the same four. So we got here and when my husband deployed, I didn't want to be here by myself with an eight month old. I didn't know anybody. I just moved here. So I moved back in with my mom in Miami. Oh, wow. And my mom had an old, old dog, Paco, who was a schnauzer. And I couldn't bring all four dogs. So my in-laws took two of our dogs. And I took Titan and Socks to Miami. And when my husband came back from deployment, I cannot tell you how happy Socks was to see him. Like, it was, she was the happiest of all of us. <laughs> Even his flesh and blood 
son was not as happy to see him as well, he was just an infant yeah. <laughs> exactly he was he was like 18 months and he was like hey yeah you're who's you're that cool. guy cool. yeah socks like cried screamed rolled over like fell over herself it was so sweet and like dogs you know to me if i had not moved to louisiana with my dogs with my four dogs like i don't know what i would have done because my husband was in the field a lot there that 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 um, assignment that he was on was he was in the field. He was sleeping in like, you know, Humvees overnight. Like he wouldn't, I wouldn't see him for 18 days straight. And uh, I just had my dogs and I didn't even feel safe there. Cause like, it was a, a, it was not on post. We didn't live on post and it wasn't like, I didn't know anybody. Like it was kind of dark in the neighborhood. It was a small town, which, you know, when you're not from a small town, small towns are a little scary. When you're not from a big city, big cities are scary. So I was kind of like uncomfortable and my dogs kept me sane. They kept me safe. They kept me company. Like it was so important to me to have them. And to this day, I mean, we st- we're down to one of that original four. We only have Kira now and she's going to be 12 in March. Oh, wow. And we were just talking about how like our dogs have just been like such a staple in our life and our moving from here, there and everywhere. And how we have made so many sacrifices to keep them because we didn't always get on post housing that allowed pets, especially not four. And we couldn't rent because who, who rents to a person with four large dogs? Well, I had th- three large dogs and one small dog. So we had to buy houses everywhere we went. Like we've made a lot of sacrifices to have these dogs with us and we wouldn't have it any other way. Right. Like I always say that, you know, like they mark chapters in our life, you know, and and that's what I'm hearing in your story. Yeah, that is so true. It's true because, as you know, I just lost Titan. That was the dog that inspired the Wag Pack, which is the reason why I'm in the pet industry, and which is why I found my passion. And he was like more so, more than a dog. He was like my best friend, my confidant, my right hand man. He always walked on the right. <laughs> I trained him and Socks to walk on one side each so she was on the left and he was always on the right and to the day he died he would correct me if I ever had his leash on my left hand he would walk to the right so I always called him my right hand man and uh he um when he passed away one of I'd been preparing for it for a long time. That's why I'm I'm able to talk about it. It was just last week, but that's why I'm able to talk about it without getting so emotional because I had been grieving his loss for two years. He was 15 and a half and I saw the decline and, but it was the end of an era. Like it was almost like, I don't know, am I supposed to still be in the pet industry? Like, you know what I mean? Like, does this mean that like my whole life is changing because he was always one of the reminders of what, my purpose was and now he's gone which he's still with me and he's still in my heart and he always will be but now I'm like that was definitely a marker an yeah. end of something I don't know what it means I still don't know it's so fresh I don't know what it means but I I know that he wants me to keep helping the four leggeds I know that for a fact but it definitely keeps me thinking like what comes next now that he's no longer here you know, I did a talk a couple months ago at a local humane society. They were having like a pet memorial event. And one of the things that I said in my speech is like exactly what you're reminding me of is about like how much of our identity is tied into like who we are with them. And, you know, whether it's how much of like our day 
uh, you know, is kind of built around them and their schedule. And if you are caring for a dog for a long time that has like an illness, I remember when Lucy passed, I literally had like all these alarms in my phone for when she needed things. And it was kind of like, I don't know what to do with myself. All, all night like I, my whole night had been built around her and her medicines Agreed. and all these things we needed to do you know and then just you know again like losing like a, a piece of when they have inspired something in us and then losing that it, it does affect kind of like our identity like that's something I've experienced and I think it's it's universal and yours is even bigger because of your career and everything else you know he definitely he definitely made me who I am today right like like that to, to most people are just like, it's just a dog. And I'm like, this dog <laughs> had the same effect on me that some teachers have on people. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I, I never had that teacher. Like I can't think back to my childhood, my education and think, Oh, I had that one teacher that believed in me and like rallied with me. And just, I had wonderful teachers, nothing against my teachers, but I didn't have one that stood out. And that, right. that to me was Titan. Right. That was that teacher. And it's just so special. And one of the things that has helped me so much in this grieving process is being like, how lucky am I that I had this connection with this animal? How lucky is it that I knew from the minute that I met him that he was something special and that he chose me because those four families that wanted him, they chose me because he immediately came and sat on my lap. And the guy who was interviewing us, I remember he was like, you know, he was like a young guy volunteer. And he was like, wow, he really loves you. And I was like, Oh, I mean, dogs love me. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like I've like dogs have always loved me, but I thought nothing of it. And then when they, told me, okay, you have to go now because we have other families coming to see him. I was like, "Uh oh, I hope that's enough. I hope the fact that he loved me was enough. And it was because that night they called me and they said, we can bring him to you tomorrow. You know, we chose you. So thank God. And and I could have, you know, ended up in a, with a totally different life story, right? Like I could have ended up with no dog that weekend and I could have, you know, still been in the hospitality industry and who knows what I could be doing, but it was because of Titan that Everything has played out the way it has. And yeah. I mean, how lucky, how amazing. What a, what a legacy he's leaving. Absolutely. <laughs> so I got to know you through the Covered in Pet Hair podcast. And it is so much fun. Like, it is like the most fun interview that I have ever done. Oh, and you. you caught like a boozy show for pets. And we made our cocktails and, and yeah. sat down and played games. And the first thought that I had was, you must put a lot of time and effort into making these games and the, you know, trivia and all that. And so can you just tell me how this all came about? Yes. I think I've been a journalist at heart forever and I, but I've always been a fun lover. So I'm kind of melding these two things now that I'm no longer a professional pet sitter. Uh, journalism is new to me. I actually just started writing for magazines. Um, I'd been writing a column. I wrote a column in the Alexandria times when I lived in Alexandria in like 2010 to 2015. But now I'm actually writing regularly for multiple magazines. And I love that research. Like I really enjoy the research of the story. Uh, And I get to do that for my show because I get to research my guest, but I also get to research the topics that we're discussing. And I choose my guests personally. I, I choose people that I am drawn to for whatever reason. I love your podcast. I think you're like, I, like I said, in my interview with you, I think you're like the Oprah of the pet podcasting world. You have such a great voice. You have such a 
you connect so nicely with your guests. And I just enjoy bringing these people in the pet industry together just to like get to know each other socially, but also discuss really important things that I think can improve the lives of pets and their parents. So I try to meld like fun and education and entertainment and booze because I am a little boozy. Um, It took me 40 some years to admit that I'm boozy, Um, but I am boozy. I love like, I love a glass of wine at the end of the day. You know, uh, if you tell me that there's a fun cocktail to try, I'm trying it. Somebody came over the other day with a bottle of chili red wine, like chili, like, 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 like spicy. And they said to me, I brought it because I know of all people you would want to try this. (laughs) Terrible. You don't want to try it. So I try to blend all these loves of mine. I love people. I I love animals and people equally. I am one of those rare people in the pet (laughs) industry that really loves people. And I love the pet industry and I love the people in it. And I love to get to know them and kind of humanize them because a lot of people are like groomers and they're pet sitters and they're dog trainers. And of course, they're experts in their field, but they're also humans with a story and with and with likes and dislikes, so when I interview, when I introduce everybody, I introduce them as like what they like to do as hobbies, and you know because I want us to humanize each other, and for pet parents to remember that the person who's providing the pet care or the grooming or the veterinarian that they go to is a human who at some point chose this because they love the animals, but isn't just like a person that you can kind of take for granted. I think veterinarians are taken for granted. Pet care providers are taken for granted. They're just a groomer. They're just a dog trainer. And like, because it's a cute industry, it's not taken seriously. So I like to highlight how much education goes into this, how much work goes into this, how much time people give of themselves into this, these trades that we've chosen, right? Like pet sitters don't have holidays. Dog trainers, it's not just the hour that you meet with them. It's also, the four hours they spent researching your dog breed or the issue that your dog is having or contacting mentors to make sure that they're helping your pet in the best way they know how. For groomers, that is a lifelong skill that they're acquiring every single day. I mean, I follow so many groomers that are like, they'll share a picture of like their first poodle that they groomed and they're like, oh gosh, that was terrible, right? Because t- 10 years later, now they have like such a developed skill veterinarians, I mean, they're so underappreciated and people think that they're out to take our money. And that is so not the case. Veterinarians have such a hard road. If we have a hard time saying goodbye to our pets, can you imagine having to give bad news all day and euthanize pets and seeing the the pet parents like you and I probably makes their day, but they see a lot of pet parents that are not doing the best thing they can. And they still have to navigate those hard conversations. So I like to bring up these important commentaries and these important conversations, but also do it in a fun way that I think is approachable and a way to pass the time. Like I enjoy listening to my show. I enjoy editing it because I get to like listen to these people's stories and and enjoy getting to know them on a social level, which in many cases, these veterinarians, these groomers, these dog trainers, these pet sitters, these pet 
business owners of all sorts, they don't have a lot of social interaction with humans, Mm -hmm. um, especially those that work directly with the animals, uh, like pet sitters. And I missed that as a pet sitter. I remember missing that. I remember being like, I've been out all day working, but I've not spoken to anybody. And so that is kind of what inspired the show is that connection with like-minded people in a fun way. Like you would after like a, uh, a conference when you go to conferences or super zoo or whatever, and you got together for cocktails with somebody after the show, you want to kind of connect on a human level. And that's what I try to bring to the table and also give a voice to like people who are new to the industry and don't really know that many people don't have the connections. And I want to bring them in because it's a really, once you're in the industry, you recognize just how much love there is and how much shared experience there is. Uh, when Titan was, you know, in his last week, I got so much support from all the people in the pet industry that I know. Um, And many of them I don't even know personally, you know, everybody was just like reaching out and sending love and wrapping my family and so much, you know, concern and care. And I felt it and it really made this experience so much better. Like there's just so many good people in our industry. I agree. And and I just think you do such a great job and like really strike that perfect balance of like fun but like substantive also you know (laughs) I try I try and and, you know it's always hard because like I I tend to be really big on education so I you know I kind of overdo the education sometimes but I, I try I try my executive producer keeps telling me that it's a fun show and that he enjoys editing it because it's one of his favorites so as long as he keeps telling me that I think I'm doing a good job (laughs) so you know it really did uh stand out to me, you know, on social media that you were so forthcoming about your journey with Titan and also with the way that you brought your children in to it. And, you know, you have you very young, you know, children. And and I was just I was really impressed at how you handled that and like the the care and respect that you, you know, brought in of your children. It wasn't just like oh, he went to the farm, you know, (laughs) or whatever those things are that parents say, you know, so I just, uh, you know, I just really had to commend you for being so thoughtful and for sharing so much of it with everyone. Thank you so much. Um, I, sharing helped me so much because it's, it's kind of like a journaling, right? Like I, I don't have the time. I'm very active and I don't have the time to sit down and be like, I'm going to journal now. So maybe I'll post something on social media. And that's kind of like a journaling, a journal entry for me. And it was so nice because I felt all the people who I've known for years, who I've just met, who I've never met, kind of come together and support. And, you know, I really, the, the one thing I wanted Titan was it not to be an emergency. I did I did not want to wait until it was an emergency because then I know that it's harder for everybody. And especially having young children, uh, I didn't want it to be a traumatic experience. And and you never know. Like yeah. at 15 and a half, he could have had a spleen rupture tomorrow. And it could have been very traumatic. So my biggest thing was as soon as I saw that he he had degenerative myopathy, or at least that's what they suspect. I had a genetic test done that said that he was not a carrier, nor did he have the genetic mutation. But it's one of those situations where there's not enough research on this particular condition. And there is still a chance that even though his genetic test said that he didn't have it, that he could have had it. And the only way to know is um, postmortem. And I did not want to really to do that. that. I, I, I didn't, I didn't want to disrespect him in any way. And I kind I kind of wish I had in a way because there's so little research. I kind of wish I had asked my vet to do more. But honestly, 
at the time it was kind of like, I can't, I can't do anything. I can't, I can't go there. Um, but my family all knew, uh, we planned it right after the holidays so that he could see my in-laws before he passed my mom, before he passed, he saw my grandmother before he passed. Um, we were able to have friends over who like spoiled him and gave him food. We gave him everything you could think of. (laughs) So I have this really, it's kind of dark, but kind of sweet. I had this list going, what I tried before I died, right? So I would literally just be like, oh, you want to try some of this brie? Here. Do you want to try this like chorizo from Spain? Here. Do you want to try, you know, one of our friends made brisket. I was like, oh, Titan thanks you for the brisket because he loved it. I gave him a whole piece of brisket because I knew he had two weeks, uh, a week left. And that's when we kind of started preparing for our goodbye. And of course I didn't overdo it because I didn't want him to be sick or feel bad, but like, I just gave him little things and it was so nice to be like, he was so enjoying it. Like he was still well enough to enjoy it, which is huge because I, I've had other pets pass where it was like, more of an emergency and they weren't eating anything. They were so miserable. They weren't eating anything. Um, so this was something I wanted to do my way. And and I know that he didn't want to go out without, we say dignity, but I don't think it's dignity. I think like he didn't want to really want to go out like peeing and pooping on himself. And like, that just isn't the dog he was, the being that he was. He didn't, he wanted to go out walking into the vet. He walked so much the last day, like before we went to the veterinarian for his goodbye, we walked him to the mountain where I thought he wanted to be, but he actually didn't. He just kind of like, eh. what he wanted to do was walk the neighborhood. So I let him off leash. Cause at that point, what's the danger, right? I let him off leash and he just walked and walked and walked and his hind legs were completely like unreliable at that point. He was like knuckling. He was walking on his knuckles. His hind legs would like fall. And most of the time I would walk him every single day because walking does help keep them mobile and not as stiff. And it degenerative myelopathy is a nerve condition where because the nerves are, are dying, the muscle is dying and like the strength is gone. So he had lost so much weight um, that on social media, people were like, feed him. I'm like, okay, he eats. Okay. I promise he eats. Um, but he like just walked and walked and walked. And I had always had to like cut him off in like five, 10 minutes because he would be paying for it later. Yeah, right? he'd be overtired. Yeah. But that day that he, I let him walk all the way. And let me tell you, we had to put him in the car because he would have kept walking. He wanted to go up the hill. And I was like, dude, this is so like now it's starting to hurt me. Like now it's starting to really get to the point where I'm starting to second guess myself. So let's go. Um, but. He was 15 and a half. He celebrated his 15 and a half birthday. He saw 2023, which I wasn't sure he would ever get to be, to do, right? I have a a picture of him with like a 2023 banner. It's because I wanted to like mark that, I guess, accomplishment, which is for me an accomplishment. And he, he went off into the, to the rainbow bridge in like the nicest way. My son insisted when we got to the vet on going in. I had not planned on that. My little girl was sleeping in the car and uh, we went through the drive-thru, got him like a puppuccino and everybody got like a, which is, we started with Radar when he passed. We started that tradition. So it's like a celebration of life at Starbucks. And uh, we did that. And then we got to the vet and my little girl's asleep and my husband's driving and I'm like ready to go. And Noah's like, I want to go in. And I was like, I don't know. Cause you know, he's five, he's five mm-hmm. and a half. And so I said, I don't like to say no to my children in these cases because I don't want to shelter them to the point where they don't live life and they don't prepare for reality. 
So I stopped myself and I said, okay. I looked at my husband and my husband was like, whatever you want. So I was like, let's ask Dr. Martinez. And Dr. Martinez, who is, I'm Catholic. She's Catholic. So I felt like, you know, she could have like a similar belief system as mine. She was like, I think it's great. I think he absolutely should be in there. He's like, she's like, they understand. And it's peaceful. So it's not traumatic at all. And they see them sleeping. And my veterinarian is so wonderful. And she has actually euthanized all of our pets in the recent years. And she's always so respectful. They like lay them down on like padded cushions and they cover them like with a towel after they've passed. Like it's just, it's like there's so much ceremony and beauty in it. The first time she euthanized one of our dogs was um, in our backyard. And like I told Chris, I was like, it was like watching like a military service because they like lifted her up so beautifully. They had covered her with a white towel. Like it was just so much respect in it that I was like, I know my veterinarian is going to do this respectfully. So that's not a fear of mine, but I was worried that he was going to be like scared later. Like, like that every time we go to the vet, somebody dies or something. You know what I mean? Um, but he's taken so well to it. He sat with me. He held my hand. It actually helped me because usually the hardest part about pet euthanasia for me is that moment. It's the fact that I'm sitting there being like, I've just asked my veterinarian to take my beloved pet's life. And like, as a Catholic who was raised pro-life and like never euthanasia, it's it 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 like really, you know, it messes with me. It messes with me, even though intellectually I know that it's the right thing to do. And it's the most selfless and wonderful thing we can do for our pets. And sometimes I wish we could do it for humans, but that's a whole other conversation. I, at that moment, I start getting scared that I've made the wrong choice. And I know that that's universal too. So he, his being there made me put on a brave face, right? So I, he held my hand and he was very interested. He's always been very interested in medicine. I think I have a future medical provider of some sort on my hands because he always asked questions and he was asking like, what are you doing? Like the, when she was putting in the, the first shot. Yeah. She was like, he was like, what's in that? And she was explaining. And then once, you know, once that was done, he was like, is his heart still beating? Which is really interesting for a five and a half year old to have like, have that, make that connection, honestly. And so she like, you know, she used the stethoscope to check if he was still breathing and he, or if he was still, his heart was still going and it was for a little bit. And then when he finally passed, like she gave us time and Mila was able to come in once she woke up and like, they didn't rush us out. Like she has, she, this veterinarian only has two offices, like two, two rooms. (laughs) And she like, let us use that room as long as we needed to, he was on the floor covered up on, he, she was like, I don't want him on the cold floor. She like moved him properly on. It was just such a beautiful experience that I think that death is inevitable. And especially as a pet family who loves senior pets. Cause like, I, I will not, I don't know that he's ever going to have a puppy until he gets one himself. Cause <laughs> I love old dogs. So like one of the things that you get with old dogs is, euthanasia and you know illness and and senior pains and aches and pains and so he is learning that and that's an inevitable part of life and he's learning it in with a ton of respect and a ton of love and and a celebration of what was not just like the sadness of what is and to me it was such a great opportunity and I'm so grateful that my veterinarian encouraged it. And that I didn't, and my best friend was texting me, checking in on me. And she was like, just go with it. Just go with it. 
Like if that's what he wants, just go with it. And it was, it was nice to kind of let go of my concerns and my preconceived notions and let him, and he is, I'm happy to report a week later, he is not having nightmares or, you know what I mean? Or anything like that. Uh, but uh, Mila keeps asking where the other dog is. Um, and then I remind her, you know, you saw him sleeping Remember, He was sleeping. That's where he is. The hardest part with kids, I think is the cremation part of it. And I've not gone into detail about that because I do believe that that could be very scary. So what we did is that his body is, you know, going to, fall apart and it'll be in the box but his soul is in the at the rainbow bridge and with socks and with radar and everybody's happy and like what remains in the box is just memories it's not really what's important and like but i don't want to tell him how cremation actually. right 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 yeah that's a little young for that that's, yeah that's a little scary even for me it's a little yeah you know, i don't really want to think about that day yeah, yeah no, I, <laughs> so understand. I think cremation is a wonderful option it's still a little dark yeah i don't want to think about it either yeah. exactly <laughs> exactly well, thank you for sharing all of that with us because i think it's really important and, and i i really was just like it really stood out to me how how you shared about all that experience and i just thought that was really special and i wanted to make sure that you knew that <laughs> thank you so much i i have come to after so many years of watching people say goodbye to their pets i've come to understand that like the grieving process is so hard and the guilt is so great that if there's anybody who sees these posts and like it alleviates their guilt just a little bit about making that decision and maybe they too have preconceived notions, that's just such a gift for me because I don't have guilt. I don't have guilt at all about this experience. I have guilt about past experiences, right? Because when it's last minute or when it's unexpected, you second guess yourself left and right. But when it's when it's a, a senior pet that's just slowly deteriorating and you're making decisions on quality of life, there there shouldn't be any guilt because you know you never know what comes the next day or the day after. And preventing pain and preventing suffering is such a gift. And planning a ritual, a goodbye, exciting things, sending them off with a bang. It's just such a nice experience for everybody involved. And it can be done without guilt. And I hope that that's what people take away from it, that it doesn't have to be an emergency. And and sometimes it's inevitable. And unfortunately, that's when all of our emotions are just completely in turmoil. But if you can plan it, and your veterinarian will tell you, like, I'm not euthanizing this pet because they're healthy, right? right? But if they agree to euthanize, then you know, for the most part, that that it is time, that it's an adequate time. And there's no perfect time. But for me, a day early is better than two days too late. Right. That's my opinion. And that's my professional experience, having worked with so many seniors over the course of being a professional pet sitter. We did hospice care. We did, you know, geriatrics and seniors, some of our most regular clients, right? Because they needed it. They needed it. And watching people wait too long or intervene too much, it's just so painful for everybody involved. So my goal with sharing was not only for peace for me because it do- it did help me sharing heals right, but also just like to to present a different al- alternative, uh, an option that can be positive and beautiful, and respectful and dignified, and slow like a slow a, a slow acceptance every day. Like I knowing that there was a week left every day was kind of like today I'm okay. But then one day I I had like a huge breakdown. Like, I can't believe he's only got two days left, you know, Mm -hmm. process, but it's not that like huge 
traumatic thing. Traumatic and that so many of us have had to face. So when we can control something, we we definitely should try, you know? And I hope that that's the message that people get, that it's okay. Yeah. Okay to put yourself and your emotions into the equation. Yeah. And I, I guess I just always look at it like we've spent, you know, you spent 15 years like doing everything you could, making all the best decisions and you have to know that this is the best decision for him right now too, you know, and and it's like the last best decision that we can make for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if they were in pain, we gave them gabapentin, right? Right. (laughs) If they needed a antibiotic as much as we didn't want to do it, we would give it to them because that was the right choice. And so having that kind of like more practical viewpoint on it, it really is helpful. And there shouldn't be any guilt in that because pets, usually they want to go before we're ready to let them go anyway. Right. Like I think Titan would have probably gone happily a year ago, you know, like when he, when he couldn't run anymore, he probably was like, eh, I'm, I'm good. He enjoyed it. We made it a good year, but like, they're not as attached to life as we are. They're, they're, they're just so practical and pragmatic and we make it more than it is, I think. But it was it was beautiful and it was wonderful and I wouldn't do it any other way. And I hope that I have an opportunity in the future to do the same thing, right? Like we never know how we're gonna end up saying goodbye to our pets. But like if I could say like every single pet is gonna have like their their goodbye date and we're gonna have an amazing week before and we're gonna have celebrations and we're gonna have great food and all that. If I could say that, I'd be like, that would be amazing. Like, yeah. right? That I would love to send off every pet in the world that way. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with us. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. I could just talk to you forever. I know. I know. I have to go pick up my kids. Otherwise I would too. Um, Thank you so much for inviting me on your show. I've had such a nice time talking to you and I think I needed this. (laughs) Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad we got to do this and I'll make sure that we have links in the show notes. I want everybody to check out Covered in Pet Hair. It's such a fun podcast and you are fabulous. Thank you for your time today. Likewise. Thank you so much, Oprah of Pet podcast I like I expected this was healing when you asked me if I wanted to if I wanted to postpone I said no I think I'll be fine I think Erin knows what I need and she's gonna get it out of me and she's gonna make me feel better and I was so right (laughs) thank you thank you you guys have a great rest of the week and I will see you in the interwebs Oh my goodness, I'm so grateful to Isabel for all that she shared with us. And I'll have links in the show notes for you to the pet sitting resources that Isabel mentioned. Petsitters.org and Petsit.com So I thought I would just real quickly review again the tips that she gave for finding a pet sitter. Number one, of course, being to find a professional that serves your area. And then once you locate someone, to call and speak with them. And I'll put as step number 2.5, that if your animal has any sort of special needs, whether this is with a medical condition or with a behavioral condition, such as separation anxiety, to be upfront about that from the get-go and have really clear communication about what you need from the pet sitter in those situations. And then, of course, to make sure that you don't wait until the last minute. 
Now, I knew somebody here in Baltimore recently who got themselves in a bind because the company that they had worked with for a really long time for pet sitting had very abruptly run out of business due to an illness in their family. And she was scrambling to find somebody to cover her trip when her and her husband were going to Ireland. So I'm hoping that that all worked out and that people were very understanding. Isabel's the first person I had ever heard describe themselves as an advocate for in-home pet sitting, and it was making me think about some of the different situations with pet sitting and traveling that my husband and I have had over the years. One thing that always made me kind of laugh when I think back on it was our old gal Kalua, and uh, Kalua had a very weird trait where she loved to lick our sofa. And she would just lick the sofa and just lick this big wet spot on the sofa. And I remember leaving notes for the pet sitter at times that if you see a big wet spot on the sofa, it's okay. That was Kahlua. Because the first time we had ever traveled anywhere and had a pet sitter come in with Lucy and Kahlua, they thought that one of the dogs was urinating on the sofa because they kept finding these big wet spots. And we had to be like, no, 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 that's just Kahlua. That's like her weird hobby. (laughs) I've talked before on here about what a shy and fearful guy our dog Nino is. And several years ago, I think it was five years ago now, My parents had scheduled this whole big trip for the family to Disney World. And so that was the first and only time in the whole time that we've had Nino that we have gone away somewhere where we couldn't bring the dogs with us. Because usually we just rent a place at the beach where we can drive to and bring the dogs. But uh, we had to have uh, one of our friends stay with us and he stayed in our home for the whole week. But we had worked for months to get Nino used to having him being around and do meet and greets and make sure that we developed like a trust situation. (laughs) So I know it can be a vulnerable feeling to let somebody into your home, but I really do think that in so many cases, it really is what's best for our pets. Now, if I had a dog that was like a very much extroverted dog, maybe I'd feel very differently, but we've always tried to do what we thought was best for all of our dogs. And so far that has always been keeping them in our home while we travel. So that'll do it for this episode of the Believe in Dog podcast. If you like this episode, remember that you can always leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's pretty much the biggest compliment that you can give a podcaster. Remember, you can always find me on Instagram at Believe in Dog Podcast with underscores or on Facebook at Believe in Dog Podcast. So until next time, this is Aaron Scott sending you hugs and belly rubs. Believe in Dog Podcast is a production of Hugs and Belly Rubs, LLC.